Let's take our Bibles and we're looking to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14, 15, and 16. So this morning I had a text from a friend of mine, a fellow pastor, and he asked me today how he might pray for me. He does that periodically, about every 30 days or so. I get a, a text from him saying, how can I pray for you today? And I shot him a quick text back and said, uh, today, this morning, I am asking the Lord whether I should cut this sermon in half. Will you pray with me about that? And he did, and I've cut it in half, and all God's people say amen to that. And the reason why you say amen to that is because you can't wait for it to happen again next week as we dive into this text. Actually, there was just so much that I thought, uh, Lord, we just need to so, slow the pace down a little bit. Because in this text of Timothy's third chapter, he is longing to be with Timothy and longing to be with the church there in Ephesus. But he's not sure if he's going to make that. He wants to be there, not sure if it's going to happen or if it does happen, when it's going to happen. So he begins to identify through this letter two crucial aspects of church life and life as Christians. And really, if you're looking for a thesis statement for the entirety of the book of 1 Timothy, this is the text for that. So it's a big kahuna kind of text. It's one of those that you ought to really understand and, and make sure that you're applying, because this is the central aspect of why he's writing it. So let's look at it. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and following. I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now in this text, we're going to find two truths that identify what our purposes are. In fact, these truths are what the Lord mandates from us. It's what he empowers us to do, and it is what he will reward us for if we are faithful to do them. Now, these two requirements are for those who are living in the household of God. In fact, household of God just simply means the family of God. When we think about our households, we're thinking about everybody who lives within our household. For some of you, it's your, you and your spouse and your dog. <laughs> That's your household. For Timothy to talk about the household of God, he's talking about people who are in the family of God. And he says, first, you ought to be demonstrating what it's like to live the true gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're in the family of God, demonstrate true gospel living. And if you're in the household of God, in the family of God, he says, make sure that you are declaring the gospel truth. Proclaim those truths that have made you alive with Christ. So I want to dive into those two, those two sections, those two points. But the diving is going to be uh, for this week and next. We'll only talk about the one point today, and then we'll pick up the second point next week. But before we get to that, let me mention three phrases that are absolutely essential for us to understand because they're sort of the building block of these two main points. And you can see it in your handout if you're just following along with me. First of all, he says that Christians are in the household of God. 
Now, you and I should recognize that you are not automatically part of the family of God. It might be that you claim to be in the family of God. It, it might be that you associate with the family of God, but it is not automatic that everybody is in the family of God. In fact, we all are born not in the family of God. In fact, the Bible identifies the devil as our father, and we're part of his family. In the rebelliousness and the sinfulness of our lives, that's where we stand. But it can be that you could be transferred into God's kingdom, adopted into God's family, and part of the household of God. And that's what this passage is about. This passage is about people who become part of the family of God. Now, how does somebody get into the family of God? How are you in the household of God? Well, I'm going to refer us over to second chapter of, of Ephesians. Look at verse 12. And I'd love it if you just follow along in your Bible. You say, well, it's on the screens. Not all the verses I'm about to share with you are on the screens. Uh, so you'll need to look in your Bible. There's one available for you in the seat somewhere uh, ahead of you if, you if you want to do that. Or just flip your phone open to Ephesians chapter 2. And let's just read beginning in verse 12. Because this is how one comes into the household of God. Now he's speaking in this passage uh, about Gentiles, those who had been... Uh, distant from God and he's saying to them that there was a time that you were separated from God pick up verse 12 remember that you were at the same time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in this world now that's where every one of us start off Everybody starts at this place where you are distant from God. Just go back through that for a minute, and you'll see that Gentiles are separated from the Messiah, as everybody is separated from the Messiah. And the reason why that's essential that we get is because the Messiah is the mediator between God and his holiness and mankind and our sinfulness. He's the one that bridges the gap. He's the one that makes it so that we might be in relationship with the holy God. Jesus is that mediator. Now, if you're distant from him, if you're removed from him, or in this case, separated from him, then you, then you remain in your sin. God's judgment remains against you. And that's a big deal, isn't it? So he wants you and me to know that we are separated. He said, well, that doesn't sound like good news. Oh, the good news is that you don't have to stay separated. That God has brought you near to himself through Christ Jesus so that you can be in right relationship with him. And you go on through that text. He reminds the Gentiles that you are not citizens of Israel. That is, you are alienated from God's provision that he gave to his chosen people. You don't have the promises that God gave the chosen people of Israel. You don't have that. You're separated from that. You're not part of Israel, thereby you are not part of God's covenant. This is the way we are all born into this life. We're born separated from God. Without God's promises and without God's promises, we are without hope. And even though you may claim to have God, and in this case the Gentiles claimed many gods, they did not have relationship with the one true God. Now that's a pretty desperate place, isn't it? And that's where we all are. When you come into this life, that's where we are. But listen, it does not have to stay that way. Jesus has made it so that you can be transformed. Jesus has made it for those who put their faith and trust in him, who is provided by the Father for redemption, that you could have life, and not just life, you could have life in relationship with the holy God for all eternity. And that's what you're seeing in verse 13 of this Ephesians chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. So everyone who trusts in God for salvation through Christ Jesus enters into an eternal relationship with God. It's not that you entered into it, God brought it to you. He brought it to you through Jesus Christ and he made provision for you through Christ. Now notice he doesn't say if you work hard enough, if you accomplish enough, if you clean up enough. No, no, he cleanses us hallelujah to the lord he cleanses us of all unrighteousness and all those regrets and all those failures he wipes them clean he erases the debt of sin that was held against us and he credits us with the righteousness of his beloved son that's how we're brought into relationship that god has provided listen god came to us because we were not coming to him god came to us in our sin because we could not go to him in our sinfulness it's an amazing work that God has done. So everyone who trusts in Jesus for salvation is brought near to him into an eternal relationship. Now, this is not in your text, in your, um, in your handouts, not on the screens. Uh, I added it this morning, part of the reasons why I needed to divide this message in two. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now that's some big chunks there for a minute. Let me just sort of break that down for you. God has not done away with the law. No, the law is now written on our heart and we are held accountable to that law. Every law that God has given, we are held accountable to that. But he's talking to Gentiles here and he's saying to them, God has broken down the ordinance laws, those laws that were given specifically to Israel that identified who Israel is. So God has broken down the law of circumcision. It's no longer required. God has broken down the laws of the feasts and the special days and the foods. He's broken that down. And the reason why he was breaking that down is because he was making something new. He didn't want there to be division between Jew and Gentile. He wanted there to be oneness with Jew and Gentile so that they might be brought into one family. So Israel was called by God, made a promise by God in a covenant relationship with God that he would be their God, they would be his people. And that required their obedience and they chose not to do that. It required them to worship him alone and they chose not to do that. But God was inviting them into a family and now he's inviting the Gentiles. By the way, that's you and me. He's inviting us to his family and he's saying, I'm doing away with all the requirements, ceremonial requirements that were once required of those who were my family. I'm doing away with that. I'm breaking that down. And why would he do that? That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility so everything that identified the jewish people as uniquely jewish and the gentiles distant from that distinctly different from that he broke all that down that he might bring the two of them together in the blood of christ jesus and make one new family a unified family bringing reconciliation to all people so in verse 17 he says he came and preached peace 
to you who are far off and peace to those who are near both Jew and Gentile for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father so how do you come into the household of God it's right there you come into the household God by trusting in God making provision for you to come into his family through the blood of Jesus Christ it's not that you're born into the family of God it's not that you do things in order to accomplish being in the household of God it's by you resting and trusting with confidence in faith in Jesus Christ who made provision for you and me who were sinful to have that sin washed away and be declared justified as if the sin never occurred so that we might be in a holy relationship with God and God would adopt us as children into his household what an amazing thing that is that God has provided for us now verse 19 of of the second chapter of Ephesians says so then you who are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God so that's taking place right you're no longer alienated you're no longer a stranger together you're citizens members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets what is that it's the word of God the apostles are proclaiming the words of Christ that he proclaimed the prophets are enunciating very well the words of God that have been declared to them by God so based on that foundation and Jesus Christ being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a temple a holy temple in the Lord and in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit so all those structures that he's mentioning a holy temple a, a place being built together a dwelling place hey he's not talking about brick and mortar he's talking about you he's talking about your life that God would begin building in you a place by which his holy spirit would dwell and he does that by the work of Christ Jesus accomplished on that cross proven in the resurrection a new life that has been afforded to us by faith in Christ it's an astounding change of events isn't it that God would adopt us as his children make us so that we would be holy and righteous blameless before him by the great accomplishment of Jesus Christ so you and I are brothers and sisters we're brothers and sisters who are in the family of God we're brothers and sisters of Jesus and one another and so it's through God's provision and our faith in Christ Jesus to be the one who provides that we enter into the family of God that we are part of the household of God so let's make a big connection with Ephesians chapter 2 and what that's highlighting although there are many differences and hey you can see the differences stark contrasting differences between those of Israel and those of the Gentile world those differences still bring hostility today don't they we're seeing all that fighting that's gone on in the Middle East for every year of its existence it's still there the hostility is still there even though they may be hostile to one another totally different from each other totally different in their backgrounds they can experience a new reality of unity when they enter into the household of God when they enter into the family of God now look the world is divided right now our country is divided right now 
I'm going to tell you, we have one hope, and the one hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ, whereby people who are very different in color, in background, in economic status, educational experience, whatever the differences are, they could be brought together in one holy family by God, and he can rule over their hearts with peace, and they can be in harmony with one another. That's the hope of America. The hope of America is not in more politicians. The hope in America is Jesus, that we would be rooted and grounded in him and come into the Prince of Peace kingdom and live there. So the relationship and unity for us is possible because God reconciles us to himself and God reconciles us to one another, giving us fellowship with him and each other. Now, look at this little diagram that's coming on the screens. The closer you and I get to God in fellowship with him the closer we can be in fellowship with other people now look you and every other person is different from distant from God Jesus Christ is drawing us near to God he's doing that by the accomplishment on the cross and through the resurrection and spirit dwelling within those who will follow him in faith and he's drawing us in that he's giving us opportunity to be in relationship with him now, what I've come to discover in this text is he is identifying this, that the closer we draw in fellowship to God, the greater potential we have in being in relationship, good fellowship with other people. So whether it's your wife or your husband or your children or your siblings or your coworkers, your neighbors or church members, if you wanna draw near in relationship with people, draw near to the fellowship of God. The closer you are in fellowship with God, the more prospects you have of being in right relationship to one another. This text helps us to recognize that, that it wasn't until the Gentiles were made right with God that they could actually be right with their Jews who were their neighbors. And the Jewish people who came into faith in Christ Jesus discovered that Jesus is Messiah. When they came in right relationship with God by faith through Christ, it gave them opportunity to be in right relationship with Gentiles. You know why? Because then they were all one, one family, the household of God, all living with God their Father. What a glorious picture that is. So I want you to look around at the people in this room, the fellow saints of God in this room. Because you and I should learn to love one another and get along with one another because look around the people in this room and these are the people that you'll be spending eternity with. So we better learn to get along. <laughs> the good news is that in heaven, you and I are given a new mind, a new body, a new attitude, a new tongue and it is absolutely easy to get along with one another in heaven until that time God says I'm going to give you a new spirit and if you'll let my spirit that dwells within you conquer your flesh you will learn what it's going to be like to be in heaven you'll learn how to get along as husband and wife and family and friends and neighbors and life group members and church members you'll learn how to get along if you'll let my spirit dominate over your flesh and over your life until that day of heaven may the Lord Jesus find us given to his kingdom in his household 
May he rule over us and draw us into sweet fellowship with the Father. And as we're in rich fellowship with the Father, may we find it easier and easier to be in sweet, rich fellowship with one another. So he says, first, Christians are in the household of God. That's a big phrase, isn't it? He's made it possible that we can be in the house of God, in the family of God. And if so, then we ought to live like that which is where he's moving to in this 1 Timothy chapter 3 passage. He's moving us to the point that we would demonstrate what it's like to be in the household of God, that that would be so evident in our life. But I've got another phrase that I want you to be insightful to, and that is the household of God is the church of the living God. So it's not just that we're in the family of God, but collectively you and I make up the church of the living God. By the way, anytime we're reading in the scripture and it talks about the living God, it's making a declarative statement to all those people who are serving dead gods. They've made a God by their own hands or they've made something into a God or they claim something to be a God. And I'm gonna tell you that God is dead. It can't do anything, it can't change anything. So when God is declaring himself as the living God, it's because he's living and active. He always has been and he always will be and he's active today because he's a living God. So he says, if you and I are part of the household of God, together we form the church, the gathered saints, ecclesia means gathering. He's not talking about a structure. He's not talking about in somebody's house. He's talking about the gathered saints you make up the church, the ecclesia, the gathered saints of the living God. And that makes a big difference for our lives. It's not uncommon for us to talk to our sons on a daily basis. Are you like that? Uh, where we'll talk and man, these things just make it where you don't just talk. It's like the Jetsons, you can see their voice. Have you ever noticed that when FaceTime goes off, it sounds a lot like the Jetsons when they were talking to that image on the wall? Anybody else a fan of the Jetsons? What are you people? You have been deprived. <laughs> You're probably all watching Dallas rather than Jetsons back then, weren't you? <laughs> so it's not uncommon for us to talk regularly to our sons and now our grandsons and have that daily exchange with them. And that's great. But what I really long for is won't you come see us? Let's have dinner together. Let's... Uh, Let's spend the evening together. Or why don't, you just, why don't you just hang out for the weekend? Let's just be together. Because when we're together, something magical happens. Now, not magical in the sense that somehow they can take Kay's wonderfully clean house and trash it in about two hours. That's not the magic I'm talking about. I'm talking about that undeniable, palatable, deep sense of love you can just feel when the family is gathered together and I know some of you don't have that you don't experience that and I long for you to do that but my sons know Jesus the spirit of God dwells within them and their wives and because of that it gives us a unique relationship with one another where we're given to one another and the longer and more full we are in our fellowship with God the closer we get to one another when we're together it's just really good the love is deep the laughter 
is really verbose. It's bold, and sometimes it can be loud. And the expressions of love are good, and they're quick. It's genuine. There's something about us coming together as a family that just is wonderful. Now, that just is a small comparison to the grandeur of what it's like when the family of God comes together on Sunday morning. Because every one of you who are in faith in Jesus Christ has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He lives, resides within you. And so when you come together, even driving up on the parking lot, it's the assembling of the church of the living God. And it's incredible when that happens. Now, any one of us could have had a cinnamon roll this morning on our back porch with a cup of coffee in our hand, and we could take out the scripture, and we could read the Bible, and we could even pray about those scriptures that we have read, and we could sing our favorite song to the Lord and sing praise and worship to him, and all those things are really good, and we should do those things. But when the household gathers together, We're the church of the living God and the reading and the praying and the singing and the fellowship are all magnified. In this place, our hearts begin to link together and our voices unite and we amplify our praise to Jesus and our worship to our holy God and our edification to one another. Even the cinnamon rolls and the coffee are better in this place. Because the gathered saints coming together are the expression of the living God. That's the reason why this is my favorite time of the week. Because the saints are gathered together. Man, I need you. I need your expressions. I need your touch. I need your encouragement. And you need that from me and one another. It's, it's just part of what family life is meant to be where the living God is manifest as the gathering of the saints of God come together. It's not uncommon for me to visit someone who's battling in a long recovery for them to say these words to me, Pastor, I'm, I'm watching online or I'm streaming online or I'm listening on the radio or following along with the messages, but almost all of them will say something like this, I'm, I'm still with you, but it's not the same when I'm not there with you. And I know what they're saying. They're saying, I'm hearing the words. I'm following along. I'm singing along. But what they're saying is, I'm not in the gathering of the saints. And I miss that. When I hear someone say those things to me, I recognize that those are the people who have a deep fellowship with God And because they have a deep fellowship with God, they want a great deep fellowship with the saints of God and they long to be together with the saints of God in the gathering. On Sunday morning, we gather together and if you don't gather together and the rest of your week just doesn't feel right, that's the way it's supposed to be because you've missed out on the wondrous opportunity of the gathered saints of the living God, hearing the amplified voices, hearing the unified reading of the scripture and engaging in the Holy Spirit with others at the same time. It's meant to be that way. When unified and loving family members gather together, it's because they want to be an expression of the living God and they need the expression of the living God. 
Hebrews 10 instructs us to stir up one another with love and good deeds. And you know how he says to do that? With the gathering together. We stir each other up when we gather together with love and good deeds. So I'm encouraged that you're here today. I'm thankful that Meadowbrook thinks this hour and any other hour that we gather together is important. I'm grateful. By the way, in the next hour in our life groups, we're going to gather together in small groups. And that gathering is also an expression of the living God. And you'll be praying for one another and reading the scripture together. And you'll be worshiping as you engage in God's word. The fellowship will be sweet. I encourage you to join in on that. You say, well, I haven't, I haven't gone into a life group yet. Stop by Guest Connections right outside this door in the main entrance and tell them you want to get in a life group today. They'll help you. They'll walk you. They'll introduce you to some new friends. And although it's awkward the first week, it won't be near as awkward the next week. And before you know it, you'll settle right in and you'll be part of that expression of the living God gathering together. All right, third thing that I wanted to mention to you this morning is that the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, I don't know about you, but buttress sounds a whole lot like something a woman would wear, but that is not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's talking about the foundation. It's the foundation that's laid. The church is this foundation of truth, and it's a pillar of truth. If you go under my house in the crawl space, you'll notice that there are footings that are poured. That's the foundation, and all around the outside where the concrete blocks are laid, that's all on foundational concrete, reinforced concrete. But in the middle are pier supports, they too are on a foundation that has been poured and then the piers are placed in, in their uh, appropriate spots and then the house is built on top of that. That's the image that Paul has in mind here, maybe not in the, in the crawl space like what you and I have, but what he has in mind is there's a foundation and there are piers, pillars that support the building up and the church has that and it can only be in truth now listen, charisma is not where the church is built. Programs are not what builds the church. Great sounding music is not what builds the church. Biblical truth is what the church must be foundational in and built upon. Now that means the music can sound incredibly good, and it should, but it should be backed and its foundation and its support on biblical truth. The messenger can be engaging, he can be charismatic, sure, but let it be that his first opportunity is to go to truth and let his words be filled with truth. So this building that you and I have is so important that it be built with integrity, that the solidity of the foundation of this church be biblical truth. Its structure is biblical truth. According to the Apostle Paul, the church's soundness, its structure, even its beauty are in the biblical truths that it possesses and it proclaims. Therefore, the strength of Meadowbrook is not in the brick and mortar. The strength of Meadowbrook is not in our programs and all the offerings that we have. The strength of Meadowbrook is in the biblical truth that everything is grounded on. Everything to be built on truth. 
So everything that we do and we purpose to do and pursue to do as a church must be grounded in the Bible. And when that is true of us, then our pursuits will be God-honoring and people will experience the transforming work of the gospel of Christ. So for this to be true collectively as a church, then it has to be true individually. Because remember, the church is the gathering of the saints, the gathering of the members of the household of God. The church isn't a place, it's not a location, it's not a building. The church is the individual gathers, uh, gathering together to form the church, the gathered saints of the living God. So for this to be true of us as a church, it must be true of us individually. You say, yeah, I want to be part of a church that's deeply entrenched in the Bible. I want to be part of a church that only proclaims the Bible. I want to be a church that I know without doubt is teaching truth. Then you have to be part of the church that engages truth at that level. You have to be careful what music you're listening to, what books you're reading, what podcasts you're listening to, what blogs you're reading. You have to be careful who you're engaging in this culture, who the influencers are. If you're going to be careful about that, and your brothers and sisters in Christ here are careful about that, then this church will be a church of truth. Let it be evident. Let it be evident as we gather together that we are individually possessors of truth. Now, if this is true of us individually, it will be true of us collectively. And as that is true, that we're grounded on truth, built up in truth, then we will demonstrate what gospel living is all about. And that's the first point that I wanted to break up in two parts. I'm going to fly through this and we'll talk more about it next week. The gospel living is a result of you and me being transformed by the Holy Spirit and brought into the family of God. Two verses, one out of uh, Romans chapter 6. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Now, let me pause and just get you caught up because I'm sort of taking this and not going through the full context. When the scripture says we were buried with Christ, baptized into his death, whenever you're reading the word baptized, you have to know that's been transliterated. It's a word in another language that's just been brought over into our language. The word baptized, if we were going to really translate that, it would be immerse. So he's saying that Christ has shared his death with us. That's what was happening on the cross. He bore our sin, he bore our shame, he bore our burden, and he bore God's judgment against us. That's what he was doing. And when he's doing that on the cross, he's doing that in a way that he would share that with us. So we see Jesus on the cross in our mind, but you should see you on the cross with Jesus because you were placed there by faith. That's what you're agreeing to. And then when he was put into the tomb, he was sharing that death with you as if you too were in the tomb. Now, that's a big deal because when he resurrects on the third day, he shares that glorious resurrection with you so that you can have newness of life, just like he's walked in the resurrected life. So if you work through that passage, he says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So Christ has established this opportunity for you and me to be in relationship with God to be brought into the household of God 
and that you and I would not have to be identified any longer with the sin of our past, but from that day forward, we could be identified with the glorious righteousness of Christ and walk in that righteousness. What a glorious truth that is. Here's another text, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that the one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So if you thought it was out of obligation or duty or some other means by which you would be in relationship with God and that you would walk from this day forward as a Christian this text immediately changes that direction he says no 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 it's the love of Christ that controls us why would you live out demonstratively the gospel as a son or a daughter of God when it's so completely against the rest of the world why would you choose holiness over sinfulness why would you choose righteousness over unrighteousness why would you choose an eternal kingdom over a kingdom today in this world where you could have everything that you might want today why would you do that the love of Christ you recognize God's love for you providing you something greater something bigger something more and that love of God that is given to you draws you to him and it's in that love that you choose to demonstrate the gospel that is transforming you and making you to be a new creation so that the old passes away and the new comes. So the church is powerful in our testimony of Christ when we demonstrate true gospel living. Listen, you want Meadowbrook to be a church of power, be grounded in truth, and demonstrate the truth of gospel living. Don't be something Monday through Saturday that you are not on Sunday and don't be something on Sunday that you're not Monday through Saturday he's saying let your life be richly true to the gospel so true that the way you demonstrate in life to your family your friends your neighbors your co-workers to all other people is the gospel a life that is dead to sin and self and a life that is new in the righteousness of Christ and let me remind you what this is not this is not about Christians attempting to accomplish the perceived expectations of God or others this is about you and me living in the nature of Christ choosing his word to dominate our mind and living that out now I'm going to pause there and we'll pick up next week uh, where I've left off I want to ask you are you in the household of God are you part of the family of God? You say, well, pastor, I'm not sure. Then that means that you're not sure of your faith and surrender to Christ Jesus. Why don't you give him your life? Why don't you trust him to adopt you into his family? It's not about you acting like you're part of the family. It's not about you working your way into the privilege of the family. That will never happen. It's about you and me surrendering in faith to Christ Jesus, yielding our life to him. You know what he'll do? When you act in faith, he will cleanse you of your sin and he will impute 
his righteousness in you. His righteousness given to you. His spirit taking up residence in you. And his resurrected life giving you the means by which you can walk in a new way of living. Coming in by faith to the family of God. Are you in the household of God? And if you're in the household of God, are you connected with the gathered saints of the living God? It's church life. The life that God wants you to have. If you're in his household, he wants you to be the gathered saints of the living God. Are you connected to the membership of the church? Now, my hope is that the Spirit of God is drawing you to this place. But I'm not the Holy Spirit. My job is to champion you to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and move where he wants you to move and where he wants you to move to connect there so that you might be richly engaged in missions and ministry and you might manifest the work of the Holy Spirit to that local church of gathered saints of the living God you see when you exercise as a member of the family of God in church life and you're purposing to do that you will build up the church You'll make this place better. You'll make these people better. You'll make this pastor better. If you're gathering with us, connect with us. Become a member with us. Join efforts with us. Efforts of the living God, choosing to demonstrate that. And then live your life in an expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let's pause and pray. Lord, the challenge is rich our hope is great the word is pure and right and i pray even now that you're drawing people to yourself in rich fellowship some in relationship with you some connecting to this church family i'm grateful for that thank you for their quick response to obey your heeding of your spirit and i pray that would bring honor to jesus as they just choose to say yes to you and I ask, Lord, that you would help us as a church to be a great expression of the family of God. Help us, Lord, in our weaknesses and where we struggle and where the flesh seems to persist. Help us, God, to be people of the Holy Spirit, living out your rich truth of your word and dynamic ministry here locally and abroad. And I pray it, again, bring honor to Jesus. In his name, 